You're listening to a sermon from Garden City Church in Beaumont, California. For more information, visit GardenCityChurch.co. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Father, as we look at your word now this morning, we ask that you would give us insight and clarity as to what this text really says, that we would be enlightened by you, Holy Spirit, to receive from you today, that we might take and apply what has been said here today to heart, and that we would use it for the furtherance of your kingdom and for the little ones that you have entrusted to our lives, to raise them up in your ways, as the Proverbs say, so that when they are of age, they will not depart from it. Lord, we ask that blessing on our our children as they're hearing from the word of God, as they're hearing the Bible, and as they're experiencing the compassion and the comfort of those who love you and want to see them raised up in your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you actively have kids at home? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are grandparents? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, apparently today is National Grandparent Day. I don't know what that means other than just to acknowledge that you exist and we're thankful for you because we know that when we need you, we can drop those kids off and say, peace out. And you know what the blessing is at the end of the day, you get to give them back. So there you go. Um, (laughs) My parenting style has changed over the years, but even more so significantly just in this last week, going through this and studying it and having my kids come in as I'm studying. Um, We have a rule at my house that if dad's door is closed, uh, I don't lock doors. We don't lock doors. We have a no lock policy in our house. Um, But if my door is closed, it means you do not come and bother dad while he's working. And of course, you know, always at the exact same time that I'm really in uh, the the depths of my study time, my youngest will open the door knowing fully what she's doing. And she'll say, oops, I didn't know you were in here. Like, no, you know what you're doing. You know exactly what's happening, but she can't help the fact that she needs a toy because my office, one side of the room is my office. The other side is a toy room. And so anytime I'm doing Zoom calls and stuff, I've got Barbie dream house in the background. It's not like a fake backdrop I have, like it's the real thing. And so um, that's one of the rules in my house. But I've realized this last week, I had to go to my own kids and I had to apologize to them for the way that I've parented them because I think that there was something in me that recognized as the general of the house, as the lieutenant and colonel and all the names that you can give to anyone in any rank, I fit every single one of them. And I realized very quickly that I have found myself saying the words as I've titled my sermon, because I said so. I think we've all said that. And maybe if you haven't said it, you thought it. Don't lie this morning. You know that you've thought it. And this isn't just a phrase that we use to our kids, but it is a lot more powerful to them than it is to our spouse. Because if we say to our spouse, because I said so, they'll say, excuse me? He said, I don't don't know what happened. I'm sorry. Like, 
deja vu moment, like something's not right. And so we've all heard these words and some of us have said those words. And I don't believe that there's any way of justifying that phrase. It's a phrase that's used to get what we ask for without any challenge or dispute. Whether from a boss, a spouse, and in our case, to our kids, we've said these words which primarily come from, it seems, laziness and pride. Laziness because we don't want to deal with the situation itself that's in front of us and pride because I am the ultimate authority. There's no one higher than me. And so I am where it ends and I will end you if need be. It comes from laziness. It comes from pride. And my hope today is that we could learn potentially how to strike that phrase out of our vocabulary. Let's be honest this morning. Any parent in here, even if you're a grandparent now, but had kids then, parenting is a very difficult thing. It is over and over the same thing every single day, waking up, feeding your kids, getting your kids dressed, getting them ready for school, getting them ready for church, getting their homework done, getting them to practice on time, making sure they're fed in the process of all those things, making sure that if they want to go hang out with friends, they've done the things in order to do that chores, responsibilities, whatever the case may be, parenting is a very, very difficult thing. Fam, I'm only eight and a half years into this thing and I'm already like, where's the white flag? Like, is there like a a program that like someone else I can hire to raise my kids? And then I realize I can't afford a nanny or a butler. So it's, it's on me. And to add to that reality, we've set in motion these last two weeks about the family unit, husband's loving their wives as Christ loves the church and and wives submitting to their husbands as they submit to the Lord, there's going to be an even more dying to ourselves as parents. Having something and knowing how to use that thing are two very different things. I remember growing up where I found my dad's checkbook and I was like, this is awesome. I've seen this in the movies. I've seen him use it. And I love the fact that he had an awesome scribbly signature. It was so cool. And I thought, well, I see his checkbook. I have his name. I'm going to start practicing on my signature. And so I took his checkbook and one by one, about 10 checks in, I was writing my own signature only for my dad to find them. And like, what did you do to my checks? Dad, I'm just writing checks just like you. He's like, okay, but you don't know how to use it. doesn't matter, dad. Look at mine. My scratch is like your scratch. Your scribble is like my scribble. Look at how cool this is. He's like, but son, you don't understand. Like this actually costs money. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. You go to the bank and you just ask for more, right? That's what my kids have been doing lately. They ask for something. I'm like, well, we can't afford it right now, but let's save up for it. No, you just go to the bank, dad. Don't you have like one of the cards in your wallet? I saw it. You can just use that card and just like, It's magic. It just happens. And the thing just appears at our door in an Amazon box. Isn't that amazing? It's like, no, you you don't understand. Like there's money that has to be added to the bank. You all know the story. And so, you know, Avery, seven years old, she's like, what? Like, so when are we going to use the card? How, How can I buy this? And so when it comes to parenting, we recognize that there's a difference in having something and knowing how to use it. And in the same way with parenting, you may have the title and the position of mom or dad, but if you don't have the right understanding of how to do it, you will only end up with obedience and not love. And sometimes we want that. 
Well, listen, my kids know that I love them because if they obey, look at what we have created. Psalm 127, three through five says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So to use this metaphor, to use this analogy, a quiver is what holds the arrows. You strap it over Robin Hood status. You've got your bow. You've got the arrow. The quiver is what is strapped to your back so that the arrows are easily accessible, ready to hit your target. If we're looking at this metaphor today, we recognize that arrows in the hand of a warrior, that's right, you're a warrior here this morning. They are the children of our youth. But what we also see here at the beginning of verse three says that children are a heritage from the Lord. We cannot look at our children as belonging to us. Yes, we created them. Yes, we brought them into the world and we end up doing things that are sometimes short-sighted. They aren't helpful in the long run. We tend to become more reactive than goal-oriented And that unfortunately can cause us to live outside of God's plan for parenting. This plan of parenting, this type of parenting, it's not selfish, abusive, or destructive, but it involves sort of a subtle shift, if you will, in thinking and motivation that puts us on a trajectory that leads our parenting away from God's design. This shift is subtle and you may not realize it in your own parenting, that you've done this because it takes place in little mundane moments of life, moments that seem so small and insignificant, but go undetected sometimes too. A lot of what I talk about is easily identified in sports. Maybe you have a a kid who wants to play a sport. They're an athlete. They're enjoying that process, but you come to realize very quickly the prodigy in your hands. So what do you do? You commit them to every single part of the sports schedule you can because one day they're gonna grow up to become professionals. And maybe you're the mom or the dads typically that are on the sidelines, that are behind home plate or whatever the case is. And they're usually the ones that are louder than the coach and they're getting louder than the coach and they're starting to coach the coach on how to coach. And it's all these things that start to realize very quickly that you're vicariously wanting them to be blessed by the gift that they have, hoping that in return, you might receive something too. It's this type of parenting that's motivated by what parents want for their children and from their children. It's driven by a vision of what we want our children to be and what we want our children to give us in return. It seems right, it feels right, it keeps a tight ship in the home, but it makes for unskilled sailors. Its foundation, unfortunately, is misguided and misdirected and will not produce what God intends in the lives that he has entrusted to our care. But that's why we often also dedicate children to the Lord. We've done that quite a few times here. If you're wanting to dedicate your kids to the Lord, come find me after service or send me a text or email because we want, the church to realize that you're raising your kids as best as you can and that we want to come alongside and help you with that also. Because we recognize Psalm 127, they're a heritage. 
meaning that we've inherited them, meaning that they didn't belong to us in the first place. And that's a big shift in our mindset when we think about it. Our kids do not belong to us. They are not ours. They belong to the God who created them. This means that God's plan for parenting in this world is that we would be his agents in the lives of these ones that have been formed into his image and entrusted to our care. Parenting is not about our will or our way. And often we project this sort of parenting into our children by saying phrases like, because I said so. As I mentioned earlier, my parenting lens has finally come into focus after all these years, eight years of experience. And I feel like I'm just now learning this. Like I said, I had to sit down my girls and I had to apologize to them for my bad parenting skills because I found myself so often reactive rather than proactive. Reactive because when I'm working and I hear this little fight going on, I find myself opening the door as loud as I can because I want them to know how upset I am and I want them to know that if they don't do it and if they don't listen, there will be consequences. Now, I want you to know right off the bat, before any of this comes to light, we have to realize point number one, children are a blessing, not a burden. They're a blessing, not a burden. And so often we think of the burden that the blessing creates. Pastor, have you seen my house? Have you heard the arguments? Have you heard the questions they're asking? You haven't seen what my kids are capable of. Well, for starters, I do know because I've got two of them at home. What a blessing. And secondly, I get the burden of the everyday task, but it can never be blame that is shifted to our kids. But my house is noisy. The laundry is piling up. Date night feels like forever ago, breaking up fights all week. That's what we were doing. I'm exhausted, underappreciated. In the middle of all the perils of parenting, maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel lost. Listen, if you're gonna cope or let alone survive parenting, don't look for the next book that will give you seven steps to solve your parenting problems. I don't want you to get lost in your identity of parent slash provider because we tend to believe as parents that we have this view of ownership of our children. We don't usually say that out loud, but the way that we parent our children is often an indication of that. And I think that's why the phrase, because I said so, is so damning. We have so many different kids at so many different levels and stages of life right now. I mean, look around the room. Look at all the parents that are represented. They're all in the kids' class, but we see the parents that are in the room. And believe me, when I was going through this, this wasn't just eye-opening for me. I was praying for every single one of you too. And for those who don't have kids, I'm praying that hopefully this gives you a foundation for what it looks like to raise kids when the time comes. And for those grandparents who are out there that have kids and have grandkids, what a blessing you've seen. And I'm sure, at least from what I've heard, that you wish your kids were still at home with you. As we've heard often said before, the days are long, but the years are short. Hear me when I say this. Nothing is more important in your life right now than being the tool that God uses to form a human soul. That's it. That's the bottom line. 
And yet, why is it so difficult for us to believe that that is the most important thing? Because the fruit of that labor is hard to take notice in public. Most of what you get to let others see in public is sometimes your disciplinary action in the store. Guy, stop asking for so many things. It's funny because we... um, we do like book reading things over the summer. And, you know, if my girls read 10 books, then we get them like a little gift or whatever. And every time we go to the store, every time we're at Target or something and they're not getting something, they're always asking for things. Well, can I get this? No, stop touching it. Why? Like keep your hands to yourself. Like look with your eyes, not your hands. And we're always telling them that. And then when it comes time for them to get that reward for the books that they've read, they can't make up their minds. And I'm like, we were just here the other day and you couldn't, you couldn't stop touching things. Like, why, why, like there's so many different avenues of parenting and so many different things. They like chicken nuggets one night. So you buy the big bag from Costco and the next night they hate them. Why? I, I don't know. Maybe it's a psychological thing. I'm not sure. One moment they're saying, I love you. The next moment you're arguing with them about who had the remote first and why they get to watch the show or whatever. So then of course it's like, well, you know what? Watch this. Here comes my power, roll up the sleeves. Here comes a genie, power off. And they're like, oh my gosh, why did you do this? The perils of parenting are all over the place. And oftentimes we don't think that parenting with those who have kids actively in their care right now, that that is the most important thing. Yet even as I read earlier from 1 Timothy 3, for elders, for pastors to oversee the house of God, they first must have their own house in order. Why would God set that as the standard? Because God cares more about what you're doing in your home than what you're doing in your work, than what you're doing anywhere else. Parenting is one of the most significant callings in life. I remember when Finley was first born and I asked a friend like, what's it like being in the the delivery room as this kid is entering the world? And he sort of stuttered a little bit. He's like, honestly, I don't know. Like, I can't, I can't put into words what that is. And I was like, well, that's real helpful. Thank you so much. Like, I feel real ready for this now. And then it was my turn. And I went into that labor and delivery room and Finley entered this world. And I was like, immediately like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what my friend was talking about. There's no way of describing this joy that is coming into the world. There's no way of explaining it. And then eventually I had guys come to me. What's it like being in labor and delivery? Like, can you give me any tips? I'm like, no, dude, just enjoy the moment and watch what God does with something like this. And yet sometimes we feel that the burden outweighs the blessing. The blessing seems so small compared to the burden of the things that you are doing now. But if we can gain the proper perspective on our parenting to sense the weight on this side of heaven and to point our kids towards eternity, you will come to realize that the blessing is worth the burden. I've been told, being that I'm a girl dad, that my daughters, as they get older and into their teenage years, that they won't want to hug me as much when they get older. They won't want to say, I love you as much as they do now. And I rebuke that. Because I don't want that to be me. This last week I was in my office and I was working on my sermon. I left, I went to make some coffee, came back. And on my little notebook, on my desk were the words, I love you, dad, with a little heart around it. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I melted. I cried for like a good solid, like five minutes. And I was just bawling my eyes out. And I'm like, she's eight and a half now. Like she's gonna be a teenager soon, which is weird to think about. 
And the culture's like, oh, teenagers are the worst. They're the hardest. And I just, I'm wondering if that is because of the standards by which they've lived in. And even if that day comes, I know that they know that their reason for less hugs or the lack of saying I love you will not, because, will not be because of my lack of love for them. The burden is weighty, but so is the blessing. To understand the ramifications would make some of us run away because we realize how inadequate we are on our own to raise these kids in the ways of the Lord. But here's what you need to understand this morning. Everything you do and say, every choice you make and everything you decide to invest in is a reflection of a system that you value in your heart. Being that we are made in the image of God, we do not function by gut feeling, but by faith. Your words, your time, your finances, your emotional highs and lows, your spiritual habits will begin to form this sort of portrait of what is really valuable to you. And when it comes into light, you will see what is more meaningful to you. So let's just say hypothetically, what if I watched a video of your last two weeks that you just went through? What would I see as valuable to you? If I watched you parent your children, or if you saw me parent my children, what would you see as valuable to me or to you? Well, Paul says here in verse one of Ephesians six, children obey your parents in the Lord. The reality of this verse is not what it says, but who is hearing it? Who is Paul addressing in verse one? He says, children, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Paul is talking to a church inside the walls of the building. And who's he talking to first? The kids. He's talking to the kids. What does this imply? That there are kids at church. What does that mean? That church must be an important element of your life. The kids are hearing Paul tell them, obey your parents like you obey the Lord. Why? Because God said so? Or is there something more to it? You see, we understand that children are a vital part of the church. They are just as much a part of the body as the adults, even more so in fact, because Jesus made sure to let his disciples know that he wants children to come to him and to listen to him preach. You see, what we're in right now, a lot of Western churches would call this big church. Maybe you grew up with that in mind. Oh, the adults, they're in big church. And the kids, well, they're in Sunday school. They're in little church or whatever the case may be. But we want to believe here this morning that we all make up the church. I think that there's a fine line and and wisdom on how to integrate kids into the life of our church. That's why we do so many family-oriented things because we recognize that family always comes first and that, well, hopefully not before the Lord, but sometimes we'll get into that in a moment. But the reality of us dismissing kids after the last few songs, being a part of the fellowship and things like that, those older ones, if you will, are a little bit more understanding of what's taking place. And we don't want it to just be, well, you go to that church, we come to this church, we hear our lesson, you hear our lesson, and everything is disassociated in some way, shape, or form. We reinforce through the kids' class what is happening in here. But I also want you to know, please don't feel like you have to send your kids in there. 
Now the toddlers, maybe that's a different story. Like they're working through things. They're putting all sorts of things in their mouth and whatnot. And that's a whole different ball game. But when it comes to this and when Paul is addressing these children, he's recognizing that these kids can actually understand what he's saying. So there is a certain age by which that can happen. I'm not saying that there's an age of accountability or anything. That's not a biblical response, but there is something about your kids at some age being able to understand what is happening here. And that's why I feel like sometimes the church has lost its edge because we so often do things tailored towards kids ministry, all the slides and jumpers and all the things because they often say in Western church, wherever the kids want to go to church, the parents will follow. There's a reason for that. But I think we have to be careful about what that looks like for us as a church as well. How do we know that the church has a future? Well, you can listen to all the crying babies in the nursery and even sometimes in here. I want you to know as a parent myself, as much as that is a distraction, I welcome that distraction because we recognize that the kids are the church just as much as you are too, as a parent. We don't ever want to keep kids from being a part of what's happening. Even this last Wednesday, we had our our, uh, monthly night of prayer and worship. We don't tell people, don't bring your kids. We want your kids to watch you pray. We want them to see how you pray and how you interact with other people because your kids are miniature versions of you. I don't have to tell you any more about my driving because I've told you often how my eight-year-old repeats the words I say. It's not a good thing. I'm working on it. It's gotten better. But that is the reality of us as parents recognizing the stewardship of what we have in front of us. And so Paul's telling the kids, honor your father and mother. He's going back to to the 10 commandments in Exodus chapter 20. We've heard that idea before, but this was Paul's way. And sometimes we can overlook just simple things like this, that he's using not just having sound doctrine, but of countercultural measures to include mothers in the conversation. Because culture would say, honor your father. Because the father in that time was the one responsible for the education and for also the training of children for war, for sport, for career. And so when Paul says these words, not only is he quoting the 10 commandments, but he's reminding the people in the church that the mothers are just as valuable as the fathers, even though culture said otherwise. And so I understand that there are things that each family prioritizes in their lives, but if God and church are not number one, then certain things need to be assessed in order to figure out how to change that. You see, kids can't hear the word taught if they're being taught to prioritize other things more than God. That's essentially what was happening here. And culture has no reason to consider your faith as a reason for changing the schedule. I've often heard recently that a lot of sports are changing their schedules to Sunday mornings because culture's not worried about church on Sunday mornings. They're worried about what and how many kids can get into their different things so on and so forth. And even though your quiver may have multiple arrows, your aim should be at one target, which is point number two. Our aim is eternity. Matthew 6, says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
There's a reason Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God because he knows how often we don't seek first his kingdom. We often use Jesus as an additive, as a substitute to other things that we value most. I recognized very early on in my own ministry and in my own family that we needed to set some ground rules on what we call family values. In September of 2016, my wife and I came up with these five different things that help us understand how we govern and decide things for our family. I'm not saying that you have to take these verbatim, but I think it would be a good idea if you have kids active in your home right now to sit down with your spouse and to see what you guys value. The way to first find out what that is, is to first find out what your schedule is like Sunday to Sunday. Our first value that we added to our family is that we will make decisions that will edify our family, that will add to the kingdom of God and do it to the glory of God. That's coming from Matthew 6. We want as a family for me and my wife, we want to seek first the kingdom of God. And we know that if we don't make that priority number one, it sometimes becomes priority two, three, or four. Our second one is that our hope will not be found on earth. Our hope will remain anchored at the foot of the cross. Our third is that we will resolve conflict, not with hatred, but with compassion, eager to win the other person back. Our words will be seasoned with love, encouragement, and forgiveness. We will not raise our voices and we will not use the word hate. And lastly, our conduct will be loving, gracious, merciful, and hopeful. So consider sitting down and praying over what your family values can look like. And if you're like, I have no idea where to start. Here's a great starting point. Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But that's not everyone's house. As for me and my house, we will play soccer on Sundays. As for me and my house, we will, you fill in the blank. So often that's not the case, but if you truly want to steward your children in the ways of the Lord, if you wanna set a foundation for your future children, if you wanna help your kids who are like, I don't know what to do with my kids, you can help them understand, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We need to figure out where to put the right thing in the right place. And sometimes priorities get messed up. I heard this analogy that I thought was sort of helpful in a way that our solar system only has one sun. I don't know if you're aware of that. I'm not sure if you recognize that, but we cannot mistake a planet for the sun. Only the sun is the sun. And in the same way, we cannot put idols or priorities in the place where God belongs. Only God is God. There's only one God in our solar system. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who comes to me, will experience eternal life, will have hope, will see their lives changed. We have eternity in the crosshairs. And when our aim is that, we begin to see the world in a much different light. But how can I keep eternity in the crosshairs? How can I keep focused on what is in front of me? Let me encourage you with potentially four different ways. Number one is with family devotion. Family devotion, that's a hard thing. You're like, pastor, we've got all kinds of weird schedules. We've got all kinds of things going on. Okay, but remember, we're talking about priorities. So if you're saying that we have all these things going on, what you're saying is that that priority is more important than that. Well, you don't understand how hard family devotion is. Oh no, please believe me, I do. 
Because every time my dad wanted to do family devotion at dinner, I was like, no, not right now. I just want to go play outside. See, that's when we played outside until the streetlights came on, riding bikes all day. It was great. But family devotion was the priority. And I would encourage you, if you don't have family devotion, I'm not saying you have to do it every single night because then that just becomes some sort of little spiritual checklist. There are times when we miss it. We don't do it every single night. We're not a holy spiritual family. Come watch us. We don't do family devotion every single night, but we do our best to make sure that it's at the center. Family devotion. Maybe that's a prayer real quick in the morning. Maybe a Bible verse for the day before everyone goes off to work and school and all the things. Maybe family devotion is when everyone comes back from that day and you're sitting at dinner and maybe you finish before your kids, you whip out a little book and you start reading to them. You're like, well, what book do I read? That's a great question. We have some of them over there. That's what we use. We use one of the big storybook Bibles. It's a few pages. You read it, you have a a Bible verse and a prayer and that's that. Maybe it's a family memory verse. Maybe you commit you and your family to one Bible verse a week and you just study that. And then over time, you'll see, I don't know what it is, but my kids know memory verses better than I do. And it's my job to know memory verses. Consider that. Attend church together, serve together. These are ways in which you can start to see how your priority of your family will pay dividends and help you through the rest of your week. Have that lens to see your kids, not as the burden you think they are, but the blessing God knows they are. Because the best way to not provoke your children, as Paul is telling fathers to not do, is to pray blessings over your children. Do you pray blessings over your kids? A lot of times it's like, Lord, give me the patience with this kid. Lord, give me the endurance. And those are, those are valid. But also what about consider, Lord, pray for my daughter, pray for my son, pray for whatever. Consider praying blessings over your children. And the best way to not provoke your children, fathers, is by praying for them. Now I'm gonna do my best with the time we have left to talk about this idea of provoking children into obedience and to properly discipline your kids. But just know it might sound different than what you're used to. I'm not saying that there is a right and wrong way to discipline, so to speak. There's a fine line, I think, between those two. But I wonder if any of you have ever seen your anger come out of your kids. Your kids get angry. It catches you off God. They snap, you freeze only because they realize that they've done the same thing too. You snap, they freeze. They don't know what to do because dad got angry. Typically anger from your children is caused by the anger in you. The Bible says to dads not to provoke your kids. The Greek word is parorgizo. I know that because I took Greek, but I can't say it because it's a tongue twister. It means that when you provoke, you are causing anger in your kids. And what that means is that they're taking it not from any other source, but you. Injustice causes anger. Sin causes anger. I get that. Your sports team losing causes anger. A lack of obedience causes anger. And that's usually where the provoking comes from. When you are not receiving what you believe you should, typically it's in the form of obedience. And I'm guilty of this. I've told my kids before, if you would just listen I wouldn't have to take something away from you. Now, what, what am I saying when I tell them that? I would rather have your obedience than to tell you how to do it the right way. I want you to just listen to me. Here's a question, which is more important to you? 
obedience or love. In the late 1800s, this phrase started becoming popular for the, for the type of fathers the Victorian culture in Great Britain and Ireland had experienced. These men, these fathers were known as Victorian fathers. It was a well-known type of dad. And what exactly were they known for? Well, they were known for their children being ruled severely and sternly. And the phrase became very popular amongst these fathers. Children are to be seen and not heard. It became popular in the 18th century because children were not allowed to express their opinion. They were frequently not allowed to ask questions. They were told what to do and they had to do it. And if they refused to do it, they were severely punished. Your great-grandfather, maybe even your grandfather could have experienced some of this because this idea of parenting continued on through World War I and II. So from the culture, we saw some who continued that framework of discipline while others altogether know that it was what it was like to be beaten at school, even into submission. What we have often seen in our culture is the opposite of all of that. No discipline at all. It's called free range parenting. You get to let your kids do whatever they want because you grew up with an abusive dad or an abusive background or neglect or whatever the case may be. I'm not trying to make that an invalid thing, but what you're trying to project onto your kids potentially is that you don't want to be the stern person that you had growing up. But what happens in that is that the kids run the house. They determine what is best for everyone. They get their way every single time, especially when they demand it and throw a fit for it. The danger in what we do with so many things is we take it from one extreme to the other. But we remember that discipline begins with us. And not in the type of discipline as correction, but the discipline of being consistent, meaning you have a schedule and that you're consistent, that you're not, a, that you're not flaky, but that also with your discipline, that you're not just disciplining because of your anger or rage or because of the big things they've done, but that you are hoping to correct them through even the little things as well. I'm sure by now you know this, that your kids watch your every move. They can't follow what you don't show them, but what you show them, they will follow. If your correction, if your discipline to your kids is only when they do something terrible or your only reaction is anger, they're going to notice that and take it for themselves when they grow up. If you are consistent in your discipline, they will see that you are a disciplined person. But this doesn't mean that you give consequences to every single wrong action. This is where the Bible blew my mind. When these scriptures talk about bringing up your kids and disciplining them, it is to provide their needs with the implication that it is to be consistent and until they are old enough to be on their own. At this time, it was around the age of 14, 15 years old. Our time is around maybe 18, 19, if you will. But discipline is not a way of getting someone to submit in order that they don't do it again, to discipline in this Greek word, as Paul says, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is to form proper habits. There has to be balance. If you discipline for every wrong action, they would have no life. I believe there are certain and wise ways of doing this. And maybe you've heard the phrase, spare the rod, spoil the child. 
Well, it's not a Bible verse, just in case anyone was wondering. You don't find that in your Bible anywhere. What you do find is Proverbs 13, 24, which says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, listen, I'm not here to advocate for or to be against spanking your children. I got spanked quite a bit as a kid. If that's your form of discipline, I have to believe that you took that to the Lord in prayer and received wise counsel as the approach to it. But let me share some insight that's not based on one or two scriptures, but I still think is wise. There are a lot of things that require correction that do not necessarily require discipline. And sometimes when parents embrace the idea of spanking, they say, okay, the Bible said I should do this, so I'm going to do it. Then they start spanking for everything. It's kind of like that old, uh, that old phrase, if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If we think, well, they must be disciplined so that I can raise them in the ways of the Lord. But oftentimes it comes from a place of anger or disappointment or whatever. So I think for you as parents, you need to make that distinction for you. I'm not advocating for it and I'm not saying I'm against it. I've spanked my kids before and it didn't work. So I was like, okay, there's gotta be some way of doing this thing. There are a lot of things that children do that are wrong that require correction that are not necessarily defiant. And so the only thing I wanna discipline is defiant behavior which is essentially what Paul told them, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. And if they don't do that, then that's where maybe discipline comes in. Defiance means that I'm going to discipline. There are a lot of other things that kids do that require correction. No, you can't hit your sister, but I'm not gonna give her a consequence just because of the one time. Maybe your kid throws a tantrum or he throws toys or she bites or he hits or she screams when she doesn't get her way and there are two or three, I don't know if they recognize that a spank or something like that is going to be the way. Now, please, I'm not saying again that you are doing things wrong, but I think that there's wisdom in trying to figure out what is the best approach. And I can talk to that child. I can talk to my kids about the fact that you cannot hit your sister. Now, if the hitting continues, obviously we're going to have to deal with that as disobedience. And in an illustration Ted Tripp gives from his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, he says this, quote, the child may bowl over his younger sister and take her toy. That is impulsive behavior on the part of the child. He's a three-year-old. He is impulsive. He grabs, he sees something he wants. He grabs it, especially if he can overpower the person that has it. That's impulsive behavior, not defiant behavior. He's a Christian psychologist, by the way. He goes on and says, now, does it require correction? Well, of course. You must give that toy back to your sister, but it does not require discipline. If I can have an intervention that solves the problem without discipline by correction, that is going to be my first approach to wrong behavior. And so I recognize this morning, there's a whole range of other behavior that isn't appropriate. It's not defiant, but it requires correction. You see, there are ways to discipline your children but I have to make this distinction. We cannot punish our children. I think a lot of times we use discipline to punish our kids. And I'm not saying that punishment is not having a consequence because there's a difference between punishment and consequence. If you want to get into the psychological aspect, I would love to meet up and talk with you about that. But that's for another time, another day. 
we can never hold our children in our debt because they won't obey us. So then pastor, what do I do? I just feel like this kid just won't, they don't get it. Something's not right, something's going on. You pray for them. You show them how discipline is a helpful thing for them to experience. The the book of Hebrews says that God disciplines those he loves, but God is not punishing you with discipline, but remind them that they're not being punished because Christ already was. Just as was mentioned in the role of marriage and spouses, we never hold anyone in our debt because that debt was paid for. As the Bible says, forgive others just as you have been forgiven. You see, the family unit is the single most valuable resource in our grip right now. With fractured and broken homes, the gospel has the power to unite what never was. Just because your childhood was bad, does not give you the excuse for not seeing the beauty of Jesus in light of what he did at the cross. And just because you were disciplined more than you should have been doesn't mean you discipline them in the same way or that you don't discipline them at all. Just as we are not called to free-range Christianity, we are not called to free-range parenting. We must be involved in the life of our kids, championing them on without holding short-sighted expectations for them. The point is to hit the target and to make sure that each arrow in your quiver hits the bullseye. Parenting is difficult. That's a very challenging thing. Ups and downs, highs and lows, goods and bads. They run away. You wish for them to come home. They come home. You wish for them to go away. All the things. Listen, you're not going to get this right just because of one sermon. And there's a lot, we could have done a whole parenting series on this, but for the sake of going verse by verse through the books of the Bible, we recognize that this will suffice and the Holy Spirit will do what he does to give you the wisdom you need. So that's what I wanna pray over you. James 1 says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he gives it generously. If you need wisdom in your parenting, go to someone who has parenting skills or who has who has had kids leave and they've parented for over a decade or 20, 30 years or whatever. Come talk to me as your pastor. Come talk to my wife. She's probably better fit than than me anyway. But know this, we are here for you. We wanna help you as best as we can to help you parent your kids into the kingdom of God. Did you know that most kids, if they grow up in the church, typically, the mom or the dad is the one who leads them to Christ. I was nine years old when I gave my life to Christ. My mom prayed with me right on the side of the couch in our living room. Never forget it. I was nine years old. The parents are the ones leading their kids to Jesus. How are you leading your kids to Christ that they might see what relationship you have with him and one that they might have with him as well? Let's pray.